Hey, welcome back to Knowing God with Heart and Mind. We're here again in the virtual church classroom at Shiloh Church in Jasper. This is the classroom that has always been perfectly sanitized, never contaminated, and long before we cared about such things, this was true. You can visit this classroom in the world of Shiloh and never have to worry about exposure to coronavirus. Now, we could corrupt um, your mind. I mean, unless you haven't cleaned your phone lately. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, yeah. So, you know, do your part. But uh, we, we, can't, we can't promise that this won't somehow infect your mind. But God willing, it will infect your mind and heart with the Holy Spirit. That's what we shoot for. So this is uh, episode 8 and chapter 7 of The Great Divorce by our beloved Jack C.S. Lewis. And it's being recorded on April the 2nd, 2020. And it's in the midst of the great 2020 hunker down. So hunker down with us for a little while as we discuss chapter 7, The Hard-Bitten Ghost. They lead you to expect a red fire and devils and all sorts of interesting people sizzling on grids, Henry VIII and all that. But when you get there, it's just like any other town. So the hard-bitten ghost is a little disappointed because hell isn't hellish enough. And that's where we start with this one. So up to this point, Lewis has been listening in on various dialogues between ghosts and spirits. And now... He will have a very discouraging conversation with a hard-bitten ghost. So, to be clear, ghosts are the individuals who have taken the bus ride up from hell to heaven. And the spirits are those who have fully entered into heaven and have returned to the margins, to the fringe, the borderlands, whatever you want to call it, in order to bring their ghost friends into heaven. So, how would you define the term hard-bitten, Bethany? Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm here as always with my beautiful daughter, Bethany, and I'm, I'm Pastor Dan. I, I just jumped right in here without introducing ourselves, and uh, that's what happens when you assume too much. So, we, we are Pastor Dan and daughter, Bethany, who is also our excellent uh, leader of youth services at Shiloh, and... Uh, yeah, Bethany, so what would what would uh, be the best way to describe what hard-bitten means in this context? I think it describes, like, a cynical person. Kind of hardened to the world and not able to really find um, joy in anything and the positives. You know, if you've ever encountered a person like that, you'll never forget it mm -hmm. because it's kind of amazing how just totally uh, dedicated they are to their twisted view of things. Mm -hmm. it, it, it just It's mind-boggling to me that they're going to believe what they're going to believe and there's nothing you can do and they take a strange pride in that. Like, like it's better to be convinced of your rightness than it is to be aware of what the real truth is mm -hmm. and so some people will always distrust certain other people will always have these hard-bitten natures and and i just 
And and the thing that gets me is they're so proud of that. And it's really, you know, a commitment to ignorance when you get right down to it. So that's what this guy seems to be like. So the ghost has become cynical in his earthly life. And what sort of conspiracy theories has he developed? And what sort of conspiracy theories has he now started to develop about heaven and hell? Yeah, he's got this idea in his head that, like, like the world, like when he was on Earth, he was convinced that, like, he traveled a lot, but he was not impressed with anything because he felt like they were all working together. Like, the world was working together um, to, like, fool people. Like, it was like a publicity stunt. Everything you could see in the world, all the incredible sights and stuff, it was just a trap, a tourist trap. And, mm. and he, he was above all that. He, none of it worked on him because he could see through it. Um, and then, like, you read that quote from the chapter about how he thought that he thinks that the gray town and hell are not all that they're cracked up to be because like where's where's henry viii sizzling on a grid what where's the torture like i was thinking about the good place Mm -hmm. because the the bad place is totally the the version of hell we've all come up with where everybody's being tortured and stuff (laughs) but um, he was like, he's very disappointed. He thinks he's been deceived even in death by hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and this cynical mindset is an inclination to believe that other people are, are motivated purely by self-interest and it's dangerous in our relationships The views of faith and, and how can it be dangerous in relationships and, and views of faith and and general outlook on life. I mean, what? Why is the cynicism so unhealthy? Well, I think cynicism ends up when you're cynical and pessimistic. I think you end up thinking pretty highly of yourself. Mm-hmm. So you fall into the trap of pride again, which we've talked about. A lot of the characters that you encounter in this book have different seemingly different reasons that they've ended up in hell, but you can trace a lot of it back to pride. Um, and I think that, that when you, because you get kind of self-righteous when you're cynical, so you think, well, gosh, look at all these chumps going around believing the best in things and all this stuff. And you get very Mm -hmm. full of yourself. You know, I served a church where there was a small group of people who were convinced that everything I did and said was all part of some conspiracy that was intended to benefit me. They were the very cynics that are being described in this hard-bitten character. Mm-hmm. And till the very last, it didn't matter what I did or how I did it, they were always suspicious that I was really trying to manipulate events to somehow benefit me. Even now that I'm gone from that church, they still feel that way about me. I know they do. And they think that somehow I used them to get where I am today, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And and it, their cynicism is just so impenetrable. I cannot begin to tell you how deeply frustrating it is to try to minister to people who are that cynical. Um, 
they'll be damned before they'll let the truth change their mind about people and things mm-hmm. that they distrust. Well, and and like, damned is what I meant when I said that. The author of the study makes a good point. He says that cynicism tends to be contagious and it's it it breeds fear and I was thinking about like our current our current life situation. There's a whole lot of that happening. Thankfully, I feel like on the fringes, mm-hmm. there's a lot more good news, or at least I, at least for, like I am seeking out more good news, so I'm not seeing as much of the nasty. But but it does breed fear. The pessimism breeds fear, and certain entities really thrive on the fear mongering. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah, it 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 is pervasive in media because it. It activates people. Mm-hmm. And if you stop and think about it, when children, as like siblings, <clears throat> start agitating each other, they start pushing each other's buttons because they know that if they push the right buttons, they get the reaction that they are looking for. And somehow, in some weird way, that's gratifying, mm-hmm. you know. And that's the point, really. Um, so do me a favor and read Psalm 1. Psalm 1-1 is, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Yeah, that's pretty much from God's mouth to our ears, right? According to Ephesians 4, 31-32, how does the Bible teach us to deal with cynicism and bitterness? Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Mm. Yeah. Um, that ought to make you, like, stop and think for a second. Like, yeah. if you're carrying resentment towards someone and haven't forgiven them, if God can forgive us, mm-hmm. then I would say maybe we need to shape up a little. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, <clears throat> you know, the fact that I mentioned those people, I should just say, they're, um, I have no malice towards them. I, I, I've forgiven whatever I was tempted to hold against them and whatever I felt resentment about is long history now. I'm just saying that I never could quite comprehend it. Mm-hmm. And I found it deeply frustrating, but, but I forgave them because I, I sort of, you know what happens when you forgive people is is you begin to feel sorry for them. Instead of feeling sorry for yourself and expecting something from somebody that you're probably not ever, ever, ever going to get from them, you forgive them and release them from that responsibility that you feel they have to you. And then all of a sudden, it's replaced with compassion. The minute you forgive them, you realize that you feel sorry for them. And truly, that's how I feel about those people I mentioned. I, I look back at them, and I just feel real pity towards them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's pretty sad when your most important thing in life is trying to figure out what the pastor's really up to in your little church, you know. And uh, it's like, you know, don't you have better things to do? And... Uh, so it makes you feel sorry for people, I think. And, and so forgiveness is critical. Um, hard-bitten ghost laments that if heaven and hell were really at war, 
heaven could overrun hell and rescue its inhabitants. Okay, so what does Leviticus 26.13 say? I am the Lord your God, and I rescued you from Egypt, so that you would never again be slaves. I have set you free. Now walk with your heads held high. How about Psalm 107.19? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Acts 16.31 They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Galatians 1.3-4 Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. And finally, Hebrews 7.25 Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. So... In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see God constantly rescuing people, don't we? Mm -hmm. And so it isn't as though uh, God doesn't do that. Uh, in fact, that's that's one of my favorite words, uh, favorite things to tell people. And I didn't come up with this. I learned it the same way you may learn it hearing me say so now. But when Jesus says that the gates of hell will not stand against the confession that he is Christ, the son of the living God. Mm -hmm. It's important to keep in mind that he said the gates of hell wouldn't stand against it. He didn't say this truth is going to build a wall that you can stand behind and hell can't get to you. What he's saying is, is you're supposed to storm the gates of hell. You're supposed to run toward the gates of hell and burst them open. And rescue the perishing. And you don't really rescue them yourself, but you rescue them with the good news. You go in and you tell those who are condemned to hell, here's news that will lead you out of hell's grasp. It will lead you into heaven. You know, and, and that's what you do. I mean, there's a sense that there's, a, there's an old sort of uh, doctrinal thing called the church militant. But, but what it really means is not that we are violently opposing something. It really means that we're proactively resisting hell. We're proactively uh, retrieving people with truth mm -hmm. in love mm -hmm. from hell. You know, and, and the thing about the hard-bitten ghost is, is he likes it there, or at least it fits his paradigm. It fits his whole view of things, and so he doesn't want to leave. So there are people that uh, you're going to go to try to rescue them from hell, and they're going to say, I think I'm in heaven. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> you know, and I've certainly ran into that into church. There, mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who go to church who, who are convinced that they're doing heaven when in fact it's a lot like hell. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, and the reason I say that with any confidence and not arrogance, but just confidence, is that you can tell that those people are misguided and delusional mm -hmm. because their concept of heaven, their concept of Christianity so parallels the perspectives that are represented in depictions of godless, lawless, foolish people who love the flesh. So anyway... <clears throat> So when asked what he would choose, heaven or hell, the hard-bitten ghost becomes indignant and says, they keep on asking us to alter ourselves. But if the people who run the show are so clever and so powerful, 
why don't they find something to suit the public? I see. Mm -hmm. So it's all about you. That the ones in charge are supposed to make this accommodating to you. Mm -hmm. In other words, he did not think that he should have to change, but rather heaven should adapt to him. What does Ephesians 4.22-24 to 24 say? You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And Romans 12.2 Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yep. So what type of change is required to truly embrace our lives as born-again believers? Well, the fruits of the Spirit. That's right. I mean, there's a hint for you. <laughs> Why do I insist on calling this podcast uh, Knowing God with Heart and Mind? Mm -hmm. Because of these passages. Because mm -hmm. it's as... It is essential that we act with faith, which is a work of the heart, and the intellect, which is the work of the mind. And that we not only, so, so we, we run to something that seems improbable to us, which is an act of faith. Yeah. And when we get there, we suddenly have a larger capacity for intellectual uh, ascent than we did before. And so it is about holiness of heart and mind. And the heart comes, the holiness of your heart comes through faith. And the holiness of mind comes through diligent, critical thinking from a renewed mind that is made new through birth, being born again, new birth, you know. And so, yeah, that's, so the heart-bitten ghost thinks, as many Christians do, that there is a need for, the religion for the Bible to change in order to accommodate them. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is really a fundamental debate that's going on in the life of the denomination right now. It's been put on hold thanks to coronavirus, but the debate was essentially around this particular issue. People would talk about it as being one particular thing, but in reality, as far as I'm concerned, the real debate wasn't so much about the one thing as it was about whether or not the Bible should change or the law of God should change to accommodate the people's tastes or mm -hmm. the people's sensibilities. And while we must lovingly and willingly accept people that we don't always agree with or who are broken and fallen people just like us, who are also lovingly accepted by our Lord, you know, that's one thing, but to say that we should reinterpret the Bible because it's, you know, time to make changes to the doctrine of the church because public opinion has changed. That, that is exactly what the hard-bitten ghost is saying, mm -hmm. is you need to change the rules to accommodate my tastes. And I believe you cannot change the rules to accommodate people's tastes. On the other hand, I don't see why there's any reason why Christians should presume that any one of us has the moral or religious authority to condemn others for their sin. Mm -hmm. We all agree that we agree we, we all agree to live by a certain standard, 
that was set by God, and we cannot expect God to change God's standards. We all fall short of living up to God's standards. That never changes. Until Christ comes and makes us complete, we are sinners who only get in because of God's grace and because of the sacrifice that Christ made. So that applies to all of us, no matter what our lifestyle, no matter what our moral standing is. Mm -hmm. The thing that never changes is God's law. We can't be like the hard-bitten ghost and say, well, I'm just going to stay here in hell because if heaven wants me bad enough, heaven's going to accommodate me. And that, I think, is what's wrong with some of the church people that I know saying that we should change the doctrinal standards of the church to accommodate people's tastes. Mm -hmm. That's really what it boils down to. The hard-bitten ghost has given up on happiness so that when the ultimate happiness uh, paradise in heaven is finally presented to him, he cannot accept it. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Mm -hmm. How will constantly striving for happiness leave one cynical like the hard-bitten ghost who thinks any happiness he finds is going to be a fraud anyway? Wow. Well that kind of happiness like the so he's already his cynicism has already kind of ruined him for any of those things so if he attains something that he thinks brings a little happiness he's probably already sabotaged it um and because he's feel like because he's gotten to that point like he set the bar too high it's unattainable so when he's confronted with, like, the only true way to happiness, he doesn't even recognize it. Mm-hmm. So. so what does Psalm 144.15 say? Happy are the people with such blessings. Happy are the people whose God is Yahweh. And Proverbs 3.13. Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. So how should a Christian view happiness? Well, I think that a Christian should recognize that happiness in this world is not the most important thing and that it's not the most accurate way to measure how we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would add to that that those scriptures remind us that real happiness comes from God. Right. Well, and like we talked, I think we talked about when we were, when we were studying mere Christianity, people get this idea about happiness and and. They think that it's the same thing as contentment or the same thing as peace and it's not necessarily the same thing. Happiness is pretty fleeting, whereas true contentment mm-hmm. is a very different thing. And I think people who have assur- have the assurance of eternal life and have the assurance of a God that they know cares deeply, loves them deeply their happiness looks a lot different. Mm-hmm. It's not a, an unattainable thing. Yeah. And they're happy with a lot less. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well said. Um, you know, believe it or not, that's our that's our episode this time. Last, last episode was more in-depth and had more to cover. Um, this one's pretty straightforward, and so we're finished with this particular lesson. Uh Tune in again, and we will move on to chapter 8 and episode 9. 
and we'll review yet another uh, significant uh, personality that really is is indicative of the kinds of people that we meet in our lives especially in the church so we hope this is a blessing to you we're honored that you listen to us um, you know feel free to comment it really means a lot to us to hear from you so you know write us an email you can just go to shilojasper.org shilojasper one word dot org and you'll get to our webpage, and uh, you just scroll down, and you'll you'll also see a menu on the left that'll tell you how to contact us, and you'll see our pictures, and you just click on our pictures, and it'll send us an email. Uh, you can do that. You can also go to Facebook and look up Shiloh United Methodist Church of Jasper, Indiana. We have a Facebook page that's very busy these days. We also have the Knowing God with Heart and Mind group on Facebook, which you are welcome to be a part of, and you can comment there and discuss matters with other people who are commenting there. So we hope this is a blessing to you, and we look forward to uh, meeting you all face-to-face one of these days. But for now, we're glad you joined us in the germ-free virtual church classroom of Shiloh. Uh, So thank you for listening. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Bye.